Everyone knows it's windy. This is way over our heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, uh, not so windy today. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, got all the loose objects tied down, so we're doing all right. <laughs> well, I guess how, if, how, if you survive, I'm doing fine. We survived March. Nothing blew around too much other than a few downspouts. Uh, actually, one completely went missing. This happened uh, in February. We had a downspout uh, that comes off of our garage, and it was an extremely windy day. It's been blown off before. And I found it down by Minnehaha Creek, but this time it flew into oblivion. We thought once the snow would melt, we'd find it somewhere. We checked out by the creek. We uh, checked out where the snow plow plows the uh, snow out of our alley and kind of builds it up. And we thought once that little pile melted, perhaps it would miraculously appear. But it has, no. uh, it has gone into the ether. So <laughs> uh, where do these things go? <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, it's been a uh, it's been a windy time. You know, March was a another windy month. We've had we got to kind of put an asterisk next to this because we know that we've had more 30 and 40 mile an hour wind gusts this winter than any other winter we had measured. And that's, you know, 40 or so years of pretty reliable record. And you can push it back a little farther depending on uh, kind of how much discrepancy or, or difference in the measurement style you're willing to tolerate. And we haven't really heard of too many winters or periods that are this gusty. One of the things that's a little bit kind of we have to put an asterisk by on that whole statement on is that the weather service at the airports recently switched in the last several years, switched from a standard kind of magnetic style uh, wind sensor or anemometer, the kind that most people are familiar with. They, they either have a horizontal or vertical set of propellers and the wind will spin that propeller system. And then, you know, that'll just get converted essentially into a speed to something uh, called sonic or basically like almost an ultrasonic style um, anemometer that has just different sensing technologies. It's possible that some of the difference that we're observing in, in our behavior of our winds uh, is really just an artifact of the different measurement system that we're using. However, uh, we are hearing from people who don't look at anemometers or, or weather data at all, that it just seems a lot windier. So we do have kind of this joint anecdotal and observational evidence that that it has been a very windy winter but again i would just say we can't confirm or guarantee until there's a deeper analysis on you know what's the difference between the kind of wind sensors that uh we used to have at the airports versus what we've been using for the past four to six years but in any case the twin cities until we figure that out the twin cities has had the uh windiest winter on its record and that's inside of the windiest period on record, uh, basically the last couple of years. And then we're really talking about gusts, lots of gusty days. We know that at the uh, Twin Cities Airport, more than half of the days in March had at least one 30 mile per hour or higher wind gust, which is unusual. It's unusual to get, you know, a 30 mile an hour wind gust every other day or more frequently than that. So. So it was not your imagination. March was a very windy month, uh, the windiest in many, many years. Yeah, well, we're going to look at, I mean, so first, we 
March has just finished up, so we're still kind of crunching all of that. But when we look at the wind patterns in general, we do know that the winter months, in terms of gusts, were the gustiest on record. March, we've still got to do a little additional comparison, but it definitely stands out as a gusty time. Were there other weather conditions that corroborated with the uh, the gustier conditions, such as were the pressure gradients tighter? Were we seeing more instances of low pressure areas coming in? Are there any other things we can look at that would tie into uh, perhaps giving us some clues as to why it was a windier and gustier time this past March? Yeah, these are um, these are great questions. And again, for the winter, it appears that we had uh, you know definitely an unusual number of temperature changes. And think of how the temperature changes, Jim. It's just a, you know, something has to give. So if you've got an air mass in place, just think about, you know, so say it's kind of mild, maybe uh, unremarkable air mass, and it gets replaced by something warmer or colder, whether just warmer or colder baseline conditions. Well, how is that transition going to occur? There's only one mechanism that can move air horizontally, and that's the wind. So when you have a lot of temperature changes, you tend to have a lot of wind. And we definitely noted that this winter had an unusual number of temperature changes going from warmer conditions to colder conditions or from cold conditions to warm conditions. And so those temperature changes would tend to be associated with wind changes. And as you mentioned, you mentioned pressure. And that's also one of the reasons that the wind blows is because the uh, uh, atmosphere is basically equalizing or balancing out these differences in pressure. And so wind tends to blow from higher pressure towards lower pressure. So yeah, all winter long, we've seen these on the uh, barograph traces, which are the old fashioned, the kind of the way that we used to look at atmospheric pressure, just a little trace on a piece of paper and it goes you know, higher on the paper would be higher pressure and lower on the paper would be lower pressure. And we had lots of kind of roller coaster looking patterns showing up all winter long. So good, good questions and good observations there, Jim. Well, March, of course, was windy, but it was also wet and cool. Is that a fair analysis as well? Yeah, I think it depends on where in the state you were. Um, parts of southwestern Minnesota have actually, they're kind of the odd ones out. Southwestern Minnesota, definitely south and west of the Minnesota River. So really kind of the southwesternmost corner of the state is the only area where we could say it's been legitimately mild and dry. Haven't had much precipitation this winter, especially since January 1, and certainly didn't have that much during March. Although I guess the, the kind of last precipitating weather system or two did bring them, you know, a quarter to a half inch of precipitation. That area has been running low on precipitation most of this winter. Everything to the east and north of there, though. So that's essentially from near the Minnesota River on basically draw a line, if you could kind of draw that line through the rest of the state. Uh, so from west central through south central Minnesota, and then everything east and north of that. So that's the remaining 85, 90% of the state has been pretty cool. Uh, March was a, not necessarily uh, at the magnitude of cold compared to what's normal, as we saw in February or in uh, January, but it ended up with some of that cold weather at the end of the month and a little bit at the beginning of the month. It did end up being a below normal month over almost the entirety of Minnesota, again, except for the southwestern part of the state. 
And most of those regions, except for the far south central and far southeast, most of those regions also had above normal precipitation. So Twin Cities had, you know, uh, I'd say pretty extensive precipitation, uh, averaging, you know, oh, basically more than almost 100% of normal, like 75% above normal. And same is true. International Falls was generally wet for the month. So the state ended up with a lot of precipitation and uh, being pretty cool. Decent amount of snow, especially north of the Twin Cities. Now, has the uh, precipitation in March helped the drought situation? Well, that's a really good question. And and we'd like to say we have the answers, but the fact is we, we have to kind of wait and see. It didn't worsen it. We can say that. Although, again, those areas of southwestern Minnesota where they didn't get as much precipitation, they had spent more time without snow on the ground. And so they've been losing that soil moisture a little bit more readily. It's also been warmer down there. Uh, But most of the state, Jim, I'd say we've at least kept up with where we need to be. Uh, You know, the water year, that's just another way of measuring and, and kind of analyzing precipitation. And the water year begins October 1st and goes through September. So our water year to date precipitation in areas like International Falls, those areas were hit very hard by the drought in 2021. Our water year precipitation to date is, uh, you know, running near the top of the historical distribution, which may or may not say anything because, you know, there may be 10 inches of precipitation since October 1, which on one hand is a lot, but on the other hand, Winter is really our dry season, and so it doesn't take a lot to kind of generate what appears to be a big anomaly. And what we're really going to find out where we stand is uh, when we get into April here and May and June, when we get into the, the warmer growing season months where we really need more precipitation. If we continue to be normal or above normal, then that would significantly reduce our drought concerns indeed. However, for all the progress that we made in the winter months, if we had, uh, you know, a dry April and May or a dry, even a wet April, but then a very dry May and June, like we had last year, well, that, that would kind of plunge us back into some problems. So no one's going to complain about the precipitation, but I think it's a little too early to uh, break out the champagne and celebrate the end of the drought. Kenny, when we get precipitation in the winter uh, in any form, um, and I think of liquid as we've been getting the last uh, few days here, uh, at least the last few days of March, um, I would imagine with the soil still being largely frozen, very little of that is infiltrating the soil, and most of what is happening with the precipitation is it's running off into water bodies. Is that correct? And that, that really doesn't do a lot at least uh, in the immediate sense for the drought situation, correct? At least in terms of soil moisture? Yeah, it, it has kind of a, you know, most of the precipitation we've gotten recently, I, I mean, I'm not a soil moisture expert. So, you know, if there's a soil physicist listening, they might be shaking their heads a little bit. But I guess what, what we think of is the way that it rained. These were not very heavy rains. And for the most part, they occurred in in conditions that were, um, you know, nominally above freezing, but not by not by very much. And with a kind of gentle rain and uh, warm surface conditions, you'd at least be able to get some moisture into the top few inches of soil. Yeah, right now, soils have refrozen over much of Minnesota, but we spent much of the last couple of weeks with uh, uh, some thawing 
in the top few inches of soil. And it's really where you'd find the frost is when you get deeper down, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20 inches down where we still have seen frost. So if you have the, say, top six inches or so that are unfrozen for while it's raining, then you do get some at least superficial uh, infiltration there. It really wasn't raining hard enough to cause a lot of runoff. And I think the evidence is that although there were some little puddles around in some of these rains, especially in the Twin Cities area, there wasn't that kind of widespread standing water or ponding effect that you see when there's a lot of runoff. And to me, that says that some of that rain went into whatever was left of the snow and just kind of ripened the snowpack, as it's often called. And uh, when the snow was gone, some of it probably went into that kind of superficial upper level of the soil. I, I don't think it would be uh, a deep replenishment of soil moisture, but at least uh, some of it hung on to. That's also the first moisture to go once the sun comes out and it gets and it gets really warm or it gets windy. So it, it's the least helpful kind of soil moisture, but it, it's, it will take it. Well, we are about one month into meteorological spring. We are, uh, what, about uh, 11 days into astronomical spring. And of course, when we think of spring, other than, you know, flowers and warmer weather, we also think of severe weather. And uh, coming up on Monday the 4th and going through Friday the 8th, it is Severe Weather Awareness Week here in Minnesota and in Wisconsin. So, Kenny, uh, when we talk about severe weather... I think back to March of last year, I think of the 10th of March, we had some severe thunderstorms here in Minnesota. And then if we go back to 2017, on March 6th, we had the earliest reported tornadoes uh, in Minnesota. So are we seeing severe weather season coming a little earlier? And then I guess we could argue on the other side after what happened, uh, what, on December 15th of this past year. 2021, when we had a tornado outbreak, are we seeing an earlier start to severe weather season and perhaps a later end to it? Or is it too soon to make that kind of supposition? Well, I I think that's a fair question, actually, uh, because when we think of what's been happening with our tornado and severe weather seasons, it hasn't really been that they've gotten worse. We've not been observing, you know, an increase in violent tornadoes, or, or uh, increase in the destructive potential of our worst tornadoes during the year. But what we have seen, and this isn't every year, I mean, it's important for folks to note that, you know, kind of goes up and down. We have our active years and our less active years, and, but we have had a tendency to expand the severe weather season and really kind of dramatically. So no, it's not every year, but for example, we had this past fall, in the fall of 2021, you know, even if the uh, December severe weather outbreak had not happened, and that was, you know, that was significant in every way because it was so late and it was so violent. But even if that hadn't happened, we already had good evidence of yet another kind of lurching geographically and seasonally based lurching of our severe weather season in kind of early mid-October. Uh, this is like the 9th or 10th of October, we had a tornado in the boundary waters. And, you know, we don't have great records from the boundary waters, but we've never had a report of a tornado that far north in Minnesota that late in the year, that deep into fall. 
you know, we'd had tornadoes reported in, in September and even earlier October, almost that far north, but nothing quite that far north, quite that late in the season. And so that was kind of an eye opener. And that tornado in the Boundary Waters went right up to the Canadian border and it did significant damage. I mean, wide swaths of trees that were just flattened. And, you know, I think 400 yards wide swath, which is a pretty big tornado. So we already had this expansion or a candidate anyway, for an, an event that kind of expanded what we think of as our severe weather season, both geographically and uh, in time. And then December 15th came along and produced tornadoes, you know, almost a full month later than we'd ever observed in Minnesota. And as you pointed out, there was, uh, you know, just four years earlier in March of 2017, we had the earliest tornado tornadoes on record in Minnesota on, on March 6th. And also in the early part of 2021, in the spring, I think it was March 9th or 10th, we had large hailstones reported in the Twin Cities area, and that was inside of a tornado watch. So we had kind of tornado conditions, but no reported or confirmed tornadoes. And then the largest hail we ever recorded that early in the season. You know, it's not smoking gun evidence, but that's kind of how some of these climate changes unfold. It's not that you get you know, the same thing happening every year. So you can hang your hat on, on a pattern that you know is here to stay. But we're seeing this kind of general widening of that severe weather season. So I think that as we get into the decades ahead, you know, tornado and other severe weather events earlier in the spring, maybe March and April, or uh, later in the fall, you know, October and maybe November are going to become more common. I, I think that that December 15th, that's going to be a hard one to beat. But you know, it might just be a matter of time before we have a January tornado here in Minnesota. If it can happen in December, it can really happen any time of year. Now, in terms of severe weather frequency in Minnesota, I know we've had some changes during winter season. We used to think of, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Kenny, you know, we used to think March was the month where we got so much snow and now March has been displaced by February, correct? Yeah, yeah. And to me, that was big. But in terms of the severe weather season, June is still our big severe weather month, correct? There's been really no change there in terms of it getting earlier or later in the uh, the summer season. I think that's Spring, right. Summer season. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, one of the things that, uh, and I know you and I have talked a lot about this, both formally and other venues, and also kind of informally, you know, sitting at a bar or whatever. And the thing that makes some of the severe weather comparisons a little more difficult you know with the exception of tornadoes you know when kind of knowing when they've been observed and when they've hit a lot of the other severe weather metrics that we have they just don't have much consistency over time and so it's hard to do some of the comparisons and also the things that we're looking for have changed so one of the examples i give is that you know early before there was a lot of severe weather awareness, it was pretty common for any damaging wind event, you know, if it came with thunderstorms and produced any kind of a roar, it would get reported as a tornado. And then uh, by the 1980s or so, I mean, even before then a little bit, but, but really by the 80s and 90s, uh, forecasters and, and folks working at the National Weather Service who would do storm surveys were able to recognize not just from you know, ground evidence, but from radar information and reports coming in from observers that a lot of the things that we thought had been tornadoes previously were actually straight line wind events. 
And then, Jim, uh, we're now kind of almost back to where we started because in the last 10 years, there's been an increasing awareness that a lot of the thunderstorms that produce straight line winds also can produce little uh, meso vortices or tornadoes. So it's, it's a really interesting thing where, you know, maybe for the wrong reason, what we were calling a tornado in the 1940s that we then later realized was a thunderstorm actually maybe was a tornado embedded within a thunderstorm in a manner that we just didn't know about back then. And that just means that the way we assess some of this has changed a little bit and makes some of the comparisons different. So if you look deeply at the climatology of severe weather events in Minnesota, you might see some shifting from the center of gravity from June into July, depending on what kind of thing you're looking at. But I would say you're correct. Long, long answer here. But I would say you're correct. If you're going to get a big damaging tornado, the most likely time to get it is June. Although, of course, it can happen any time of the year and especially the most common from, say, early May through early August. But uh, the kind of center of gravity is still that last week or near the last week in June. And that's when we see most of the big damaging supercell tornadoes. It's just that as we've started recognizing that there are other kinds of tornadoes, we might see those statistics skew a little bit later. So nothing in the immediate future in terms of severe weather here, although there is a system coming in where there's still a lot of questions uh, surrounding it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this is a winter that won't say goodbye properly. You're right. I don't see any severe weather threat anywhere from Minnesota in in, in the next week, at least. So getting us through that first full week of April, I just don't see any, you know, severe thunderstorms or tornado type events. Uh, But we do have a few weather systems that are going to produce, you know, more precipitation, uh, possibly more winter weather, depending on where you are, especially likely in the, you know, northern half or so of Minnesota. But we're in this strange pattern where you get enough cold air in place and any of these weather systems can produce snow or sleet or ice or slush or freezing rain. So no severe weather, but you know, with severe weather awareness week, it's, it's really good for people to pay attention to having a plan at work for if there is a tornado or tornado warning, um, knowing the difference between tornado watches and tornado warnings and knowing the other kinds of severe weather hazards, because it's not just tornadoes, it's hail, it's high winds. We're also always concerned with lightning and flash floods. You know, it's a good time to catch up on this information because usually what, what people do, Jim, they wait until the sirens are blowing or until there's some kind of warning for where they live to figure out what it means. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that's too late, especially if, if something uh, significant is bearing down on you. Well, there are some good online resources for weather information, and we will uh, put those on our website, wayoverourheads.com. But yeah, it's an opportunity for people to get some great information about severe weather preparedness and uh, how you can stay safe when storms threaten the area. Yeah, I agree. And I just think it's it's worth people hearing too. Just go to your National Weather Service homepage. So if you're in Southern and Eastern Minnesota near the Twin Cities, that's the Twin Cities and Chanhassen Office of the National Weather Service. You can just get to all of these through weather.gov. Far Southeastern Minnesota would be the La Crosse area. Southwest Minnesota would be Sioux Falls. Far West Central, just the hump of Western Minnesota, Big Stone, Traverse Counties. That's the Aberdeen office 
Most of northwestern Minnesota is served by Grand Forks, and then north central and northeast Minnesota, parts of east central Minnesota, Brainerd Lakes area is served by Duluth. All of these offices will have basically the same severe weather awareness materials. So just go to their website. It's really easy. We're going to start with weather alerts and warnings on Monday, uh, and then you'll understand severe weather, lightning and hail risks on Tuesday. Floods on Wednesday, you're going to get a tornado drill in there. Uh, I think it's is that a tornado drill might be the next week. Thursday. But, I think I yeah. think it's Thursday the seventh, uh, if seventh? I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And I believe the plan is there will be in most places activation of the warning, the outdoor warning sirens, I think at 145 and 645 PM local time. That would be on Thursday, April 7th. Yeah. And the idea is, you know, the idea is just think of this like a fire drill where you should actually learn what you're gonna what think about what you're gonna do. Uh, you know, do a very uh, rough simulation of, okay, you got to go down to the basement, make sure we have the right supplies. If you don't have a basement, then find the right shelter for you. You know, knowing those general guidelines are really important, especially for folks who don't have access to adequate shelter in the form of a basement or any kind of underground, underground uh, safety location. So, yeah. And then uh, the last thing is uh, extreme heat, which is a different kind of summer warm season weather hazard. And it's not going to feel like it applies at all here in, uh, you know, on April 8th, but just wait, you know, it might be a month or less before we have our first really hot day. And by that time, we want to know, uh, you know, how to stay cool and how to, how to keep yourself safe in those conditions. Well, uh, great advice and keep your eyes on the National Weather Service site. You will get to see information about all the hazards that Kenny just mentioned. And uh, speaking of floods, flash floods, it occurred to me, Kenny, that uh, it will be the 50th anniversary of the Rapid City flash flood uh, on June 9th of this year. And um, as a matter of fact, just coming in the mail today, uh, a book I ordered on that particular flood. So on the anniversary or a little before, uh, we will talk about that flood. 238 fatalities. I mean, that was uh, one of the worst flash floods, at least in terms of loss of human life and destruction to property that the country has ever experienced. Yeah, that is a massive flood. And, you know, we always think when it happens, you know, where's Rapid City? What's that have to do with us here in Minnesota? And the fact is, is, in the wrong circumstance, these kinds of hazards, you know, these kinds of things can happen here. Think of, uh, you know, some of the really flashy rivers and streams. We can flashy, you know, they can rise and fall very quickly. And those are the ones in southeastern Minnesota in particular that are really most susceptible to massive flooding. And we had, we got a taste of that in 2007. We had, you know, uh, over a half dozen, maybe even a dozen deaths from the flooding in southeastern Minnesota in 2007. And we could certainly, you know, think of the way the water just roared down the hills of Duluth during the floods in 2012. Kind of a miracle that we didn't have more casualties from that from that event. So the idea isn't to scare everybody. Oh, flash floods are coming to where you live every year from here on out. But But really to understand that these things, you know, we, we like to think and get comfortable that ah, it happened somewhere else probably won't happen here. But, you know, unless you live at the top of a hill, you know, flash flooding is, is definitely a threat in any flat and especially any low lying area in Minnesota. So a uh, good reminder there, Jim. Thanks. So Kenny, yeah. great talking to you as always. Uh, we'll check in again soon. Very good. Good talking to you too, Jim. Thanks a lot. 
This is Way Over Our Heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's climatologist. We'll catch you next time.